to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We're often asked the question, if God made the world and God is good, then why is the world so messed up? Why is the world in the, in the condition that it's in? And this is a, a perplexing problem for many people. And yet, the the answer to the question is actually quite simple. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, God is with us. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So many wonderful, amazing things about this book here. And, and the verses that are before us, they're describing the future. They're describing the eternal state that we will enter into eventually where the tabernacle of God is with men. And, you know, that's always been the, the intention of God from the very beginning. God created the human race for the very purpose of having communion, having fellowship. Now, we're, we're often asked the question, if God made the world and God is good, then why is the world so messed up? Why is the world in the, in the condition that it's in? And this is a, a perplexing problem for many people. And yet, the the answer to the question is actually quite simple. It's not that there isn't an answer. It's just that most of the time, people don't like the answer. They don't want to hear the answer. But the answer is this. The world that we live in, the world that we've known, is not the world that God created. It's not the world that God intended. Man, as we see and as we know ourselves to be, Uh, We are not what God originally created or intended. You see, the Bible teaches that originally everything was good. 
When God created the world, it was good. God created uh, man, kind, man and woman, and it was all good. Man was living in communion. He was living uh, in fellowship with his maker. But something happened. Man revolted against the rule of God, and that was sin. And that sin resulted in death. And everything that we have known since the fall, all of the the struggles, all of the misery, all of the suffering, it all originated not with the actual creation, but with man's rebellion. And the plan and the purpose of God since then has been to restore the world and humanity to what God originally intended. And that's what Revelation 21 and 22 are telling us about. Revelation 21 and 22 are telling us what this new world is going to actually look like. And we read here in verse three, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Tabernacle, it's kind of an older word. It's kind of a word that that seems to have uh, sort of a religious connotation, but the the word actually simply means a tent. And the picture is that God is going to be living among men. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with them and he will dwell with them. And like I said, this was God's original purpose when man was created. God created human beings so that he could have a relationship with them. Not because God needed that. It wasn't like there was something lacking in God, that he was lonely, that he needed someone to tell him how great he was. None of that existed. God is he's entirely self-sufficient. He's perfect. He has no need whatsoever. Even within the divine nature, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's perfect community or there's perfect fellowship that exists with God from the very beginning. So, so why does God create man for fellowship? Well, God creates a being in his likeness, really, that he might bless. That, that's really the intention. God creates humanity that he might live in a relationship with, with humanity where humanity is able to experience all the goodness and the love and the blessing of God. I, I was trying to think of um, a, a particular verse. You know, I was trying to kind of narrow it down to one verse that maybe uh, communicated that, but I, I don't know that there is one verse that necessarily does that. I think it, it's the, the compilation of, of many different statements in the scripture that, that communicate that to us. But, but a few verses came to mind that convey this idea about the, about the heart of God and his desire for humanity. In Deuteronomy 5.29, the Lord said this. He said, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So here you're, you're, God is expressing his desire that it might be well with them. See, that's, that's God's intention for humanity. Oh, that it might be well 
with them. Isaiah 48, 18 says something similar. Again, God speaking. He says, oh, that they had heeded my commandments. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. He's speaking directly to the nation. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You see, God said, oh, I wanted you to know peace. That's my heart for you. Jesus said something like this himself when he came to Jerusalem for the last time. And he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he lamented. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Oh, if you had only known this day the things that belong to your peace. And although each one of these passages that I've just uh, referred to, although each of them are uh, speaking specifically of God's desire for Israel, they give us insight into God's heart toward all of mankind. Because, of course, the unique position that Israel had was in order for God to bring his blessing to the entire human race. Remember, it was through Abraham when God set Abraham aside, who was the, became the father of the, the nation of Israel. God said to Abraham, he said, through you and your seed, your descendant, the Messiah, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we get, we get an insight into the heart of God. We get an insight into the purpose of God in the creation of Humanity, God created a being that he might lavish his love and bestow his goodness upon. That's God's original intent and purpose in creation. And the world is the way it is today, not because this is the way God made it. It's the way it is today because this is the result of a long rebellion against the creator. And here we're being told about the end of all of that, that all of that is going to come to an end and the good God is going to then lavish that goodness upon humanity. Now, make no mistake about it. God is good. It seems like today, more than in recent generations, there is a tendency on the part of so many people to impugn God, to find fault with God, to kind of put the blame on the idea of a God for every bad thing that happens in life. And and there's a big challenge that, that kind of is coming forth almost collectively from Western culture about the goodness of God and the idea that, you know, there, there is no God or if there is a God, he's not a good God and that sort of thing. Make no mistake about it, God is good. And there are multitudes of things that, that point to the goodness of God. I mean, if you, if you think about it, put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. You got a planet full of people that you made who absolutely hate you and uh, go out of their way regularly to violate everything that you told them to do, have absolutely no gratitude, no thanksgiving, no appreciation for anything that you've ever done. And what do you do? Well, you know, if I'm God, I just blow the place up. That's what I do. And you'd probably do that too if you're God. 
But what does God do? He doesn't do that. He, he lets it all go on. And we get to, even in our worst kinds of circumstances, there are still pleasures, there's still enjoyment, there's still benefits. Like Jesus reminded us, God makes his son to shine on the, the good and the evil. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, God really is good. I love the way A.W. Tozer spoke of the goodness of God. He said, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. Do we realize that? God's attitude toward humanity is, is friendly. And that is even now, under the, the present circumstances where most of the, the human race is still in revolt and st is still in rebellion. But God's heart is, is that, that one of, of goodness and love and mercy and blessing. So anyway, back to what we're looking at here in the text. We're looking at God's ultimate purpose in living eternally in joyous community with humanity. We're looking at here in the third verse, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. We're looking at the fulfillment of what God promised he would do in that he promised that he would be with us. In the seventh chapter of Isaiah, the 14th verse, there was that, that great prophecy about the virgin birth. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah's prophecy. 700 years later, when that is realized, when Jesus is born, Matthew writing after the fact, he looks back at the birth of Jesus. He refers to Isaiah's prophecy, but then Matthew interprets the name Emmanuel for us. And Matthew tells us that Emmanuel means God with us. And you see the first phase of that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world as God with us. And as we read in John 1.14, that the word who is God became flesh and he tabernacled among us or he pitched his tent among us. So that was phase one. The, the millennium will be phase two. And I, I believe people have asked me this question. Well, how, you know, it says that they shall call his name Emmanuel. How come they didn't name the child Jesus Emmanuel? Well, I believe that he will be called Emmanuel in the millennial kingdom, that that will be the way he is referred to, probably one of, of many ways, but that one specifically, because then when Jesus sits upon the throne of, of glory in Jerusalem, he will indeed be God is with us. But the final and ultimate phase and fulfillment of that word is what we're reading about here in the new heaven and the new earth. The tabernacle of God is with men and God will dwell with them. That's the heart of God, to dwell with man. And along with that, the wonderful news, verse four, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, 
for the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. You know, all that we've known from the very beginning, with the, with the exception of that very brief period of time, nobody even knows how long of a period of time it was before sin entered into the world. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We know that it happened before the conception of the first child, because we know when, uh, when Adam and Eve had their first child that, that sin had already entered into the world. So how long it was that Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God, we don't know. But whatever the duration of time, once they revolted against God, once they sinned, they, they set in motion through sin all of the things that we have lived with for all of the centuries that are summed up in death, sorrow, crying, and pain. That's the history of the world. Death, sorrow, crying, and pain. But here's the wonderful news. None of those things will be part of God's eternal kingdom. The former things have passed away. And you know, as we, as we look around the world that we live in currently, and as we see, it seems like an escalation of, of the kinds of things that are described here, death, sorrow, crying, pain, oh, our hearts just long for, is there ever a time when this is going to be over? The answer is yes. There is a time when it's going to be over. God's telling us about that time right here. You know, this past week, I read a book of, uh, written by a friend of mine on... Um, it's actually an autobiography, and um, he's a rapper, and uh, he's from the inner city of St. Louis, grew up there, and he's basically telling you know, his life story and telling ultimately about his conversion and so forth. It's a, it's a very powerful book, but I have to say, as I read through it, there were just so many moments of, of such tragedy as I'm reading through, and the most of the book deals with his life from, a, from about the age of 12 to maybe 22 or so. I think it was probably about then that he, that he came to faith in Jesus. But in that, say, 10-year period, he describes the death of 18 friends or family members through gang and drug-related violence. And as I'm reading this story, I'm just you know, my heart's just breaking and I'm, I'm looking at the misery that he himself experienced in growing up in the inner city there. And, and then I'm reading the news and I'm hearing about the very thing he's describing. I'm hearing about that happening uh, on the streets of Chicago presently. Uh, the murder rate in Chicago is up 84%. And the, even the, the greater tragedies, it seems that nobody's doing anything about it. It seems that there's a lack of motivation even to do much about it. And this is just the sad state of affairs. You know, you know you're living in a crazy world when people are now looking at things like that or they're looking at terrorism and things similar to that and they're saying, hey, well, this is just the way it is. You know, I saw on the cover of The Economist magazine, the most recent issue, two guys, paramilitary kind of looking guys. They're uh, police officers somewhere in Europe, maybe Brussels, maybe Paris. And there they are with their, you know, their Uzis or their AK-47s or whatever. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're 
in all of their gear standing on the street corner of some European city and the caption on The Economist is Europe's new normal. And that to me is the most insane thing. It's a settling into, well, this is just the way it is. This is the reality now. It's the new normal. There, there's not even, you know, we're, we're living in a time when because people can't identify evil as evil, they can't fight evil. They're not, they're not really sure if, if this is evil. It's just, you know, this is the struggle of a, you know, a different culture, different people. So this is just the, the way we live now. And that it kind of seems like what's happening on the streets of some of our American cities as well with the violence and the murder and all of that. It's like, well, this is just what it is. Well, we just need to get used to it. But thank God, God doesn't think that way. That this kind of thing is not going to go on indefinitely. That the former things, the death, the sorrow, the crying, the pain, the disasters, the plagues, the famines, the wars, the inquisitions, the gulags, the holocaust, the killing fields, the jihads, and everything else that's similar to that, thank God that one day all of this will be gone forever, never to be even remembered again. That's the beautiful thing. Not only is this going to cease to be, it will be blotted from man's memory. And a parallel passage to what we're reading here in Revelation 21, Isaiah 65, 17, the Lord says, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Oh, that's so glorious. The former things will not even be remembered. God is gonna so wipe away the past. You know, some have said, well, you know, there's just no way that a person could ever fully recover from or, or be delivered from some of the horrific experiences in life. And I would agree if it was left up to man, if it was left up to uh, circumstances, if it was left up to psychology or whatever, I agree that that would be impossible. But that's not the case with God. God is going to wipe these things so thoroughly out that they will not be remembered or come to mind. C.S. Lewis addressed this very thing. People in his day said similar things. And in his brilliant and imaginative way, he responded. He said this. He said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing, not knowing that heaven once attained will work itself backwards and turn even the agony into a glory. And at the end of all things, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except heaven. Now, I don't know if you totally get what he's saying, but he's, he's drawing from what we just read in Isaiah. The former things have passed away. And for all of eternity, we will actually feel as though we never lived anywhere else. We've never been anywhere else. That's how radically new God is going to make the universe. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. No more death or sorrow or crying or pain. The former things have passed away. 
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. Would the world be better off without religion? Does religion really poison everything? Many people today believe the world would indeed be better off without religion, and Christianity would be at the top of the list for most. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon considers these questions through the lens of Christian history. He examines the different periods of the Christian church, from its founding in antiquity to the Middle Ages, the 20th century, and what we can learn from history today. This book will challenge your thinking about the Christian church that is worse and better than you ever imagined. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.